Full eight-game slate in the NBA. Some thrilling finishes. We've got it all covered for you. And Paul George is going to make his Clippers debut. We've got the update on when you'll see him on the court. And the Rockets could be losing a ton of money thanks to this China situation. We'll talk about it here on the Wednesday Locked On NBA podcast. Let's go. You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Wednesday, hump day, and we're going to get you through it. I'm John Corrales. I cover the Boston Celtics and host the Locked On Celtics podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John. And I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Nola Jake. So a lot to get to in this podcast. Let's first get you caught up on the night in the association. We call it Too Long Didn't Watch. Let's start with the two blowouts. No analysis necessary. Indiana over OKC, 111-85. TJ Warren had 23 points, 3 assists, 3 rebounds. Malcolm Brogdon dropped 20. DeMontis Sabonis, 18 points and 16 rebounds for the Pacers. Chicago, 120 over New York, 102. They were tied going into the fourth. Uh, then Chicago dropped a 35-17 to fourth quarter thanks to Kobe White who scored 27 points overall, but 23 in the fourth, thanks to 7 of 8 from 3. Now, let's get to the rest of the games. Philadelphia, a thriller over Cleveland. I, I say thriller, Jake, I use the term loosely because not not a pretty game. No Horford, uh, but uh, Simmons returned for the Sixers, and they uh, ended up pulling out a tight one. Yeah, Kevin Love had a chance to kind of win this one, but missed it here. And you can kind of really just see the youth from uh the Cleveland Cavaliers come through. Sexton with 14 points, 4 assists. That's good. He hasn't done a ton of things like that, so I was happy to see that for him. You better, I don't know, it's like a moral victory for Cleveland while also losing. So this is exactly what they want. Yeah, right, isn't it? Um For Philadelphia, yeah, their experience uh did uh, enough to overtake the youth there for the, the um Cavaliers. Although I will say opposing guards have always been a problem for the Sixers, and you saw Sexton drop those 18 points. Jordan Clarkson, 20 points. Uh, off the bench with four rebounds, a couple assists, shot 50% from the field. Uh, Simmons was back. He dropped 15 points and they, uh, the Sixers won despite Harris going four of 17 from the field. Joel Embiid got the uh, game winning dunk on that one. Moving on to Miami. They win 117 over the Pistons 108. Heat were up 29, but that lead was cut to seven thanks to Miami turnovers. Another 19 for the turnover prone heat. But uh, Jake, I think Miami uh, benefited from the weather in this one. Yeah, they might have. The, the Pistons were kind of what they were stuck on the plane. Is that right? Or they yeah. got in super Six late hours. They landed at 6 a.m. in Miami. Yeah, and then they had a game that night. That's just not going to do it. I saw weather is kind of wrecking havoc across certain areas. Uh, luckily, it doesn't snow all that often down here in New Orleans. But Detroit made this one a little bit closer than it should have been. Man, you've got Dragic putting 18 off the bench for Miami. Kendrick Nunn putting up 20 for the Heat. Again, it's just too much scoring power for them, and yet Detroit didn't have any luck on their side when it came to the travel. Yeah, by the time they woke up, it was a little too late. Luke Kennard had 22, all of them in the second half. Atlanta, a uh, surprising win in Denver, 
121. Trey Young. Oh man. This it's kid ridiculous. is electric. This kid is just so electric. 42 points on 8 of 13 shooting from 3. It's his third straight 30 plus point game. And shout out to Jabari Parker of all people who is just stepping up in the Collins absence. 20 points, 9 rebounds for assists. We talked about this last week. Uh, Parker, you know, sometimes it's the right situation, right place, right time. He just happens to fit with Trey Young, and in that Collins role, he's thriving. Yeah, he's going to end up getting paid. There's no way he picks up that player option for next season, so which is wild. like billion dollars. Like he he's playing himself into some money. The, the story in this one is Trey Young. He was so freaking good. Eight made threes in this one. He was eight of eleven for deep. Forty-two points, eleven assists, chipped in four rebounds as well. He he was Steph like in this game, just launching from deep. Like some of the shots he takes, you're just like, what are you doing? Oh, it's you. You can go ahead and do that. I tr- trust you. It's like Steph Curry when he bombs it from 35 feet. Yeah. You don't kind of uh, bat an eye at it and you feel like it's the right thing. Trey Young is entering that kind of category for me as a player. And also, Kim Reddish and DeAndre Hunter on the wing kind of making up also for some of the length missing in John Collins. Overall, this Atlanta team is fun. They are a lot of fun. Trey is a special player. Uh, he, the best thing I can tell you is that in a season where Luka Doncic is is having a uh, people are really good <laughs> people are talking about him getting like MVP votes people are forgetting about the whole Trey Young trade for uh, Luka Doncic and all that stuff they're just both special kind of players and and that whole narrative is gone so best I, that's the best thing i can say about him Jokic by the way for Denver shot 1 of 8 from 3 even though he dropped 20 points 7 assists 4 rebounds that one of eight from three point shooting, really, if he just shot at a decent percentage there, uh, that that would have changed the dynamic in this game. But Atlanta picks up a rare upset in Denver. Lakers and Phoenix. I gotta tell you, it was first of all, Lakers one twenty three, Phoenix one fifteen was the final. Phoenix had this game. It felt like, uh, but it was the inexperience down the stretch. That, that really stood out and the Lakers ended up closing this thing out behind LeBron, who's had 19 and 11. Anthony Davis had 24 and 12. Kuzma had 23 points, including three of six from three and a clutch late three. It, it's just the experience, the better players, uh, overtook the inexperience and a team that while exciting in Phoenix, uh, still hasn't learned how to win uh, these tough games against good teams. That's exactly it. In the fourth quarter, you saw LeBron manage to get a switch and get Devin Booker defending him, which is not how Phoenix wants to try and win that game. And I think it happened on uh, four or five straight possessions, and LeBron was able to take advantage from that. That's a big deal. That's definitely experience versus youth in this one, and that really kind of led them to the victory. But, oh, my God, this Suns team, even still, they're impressive. I, you know, I don't watch the Suns in-depth all that often, but I watch this game. Aaron Baines looks like the best damn player in the Isn't NBA. He? At, oh, my these God. Ad- it's wild what that addition has done from them. That that dude is so comfortable spacing the court but doesn't really have, you know, uh, like a traditional three-point range, I guess, but he does now. And this was really fun to see and watch them play. 
multiple ball handlers, guys who can shoot, and a dude in Devin Booker that can go out and light it up. They, I don't want to call them like for real, for real, but they're not far off from no, that, are they? They're not. They're 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 fun. Like they're they're they are. I think finally making sense as a team. Look, they, they've, they've tweaked some things. The coaching is working. They've, they've simplified some things. I think Aaron Baines kind of ties a lot of this together. I can speak on Aaron Baines from a Boston perspective. I've seen it firsthand. He is a tremendous defender. I mean, that guy understands coverages. And having a guy like that calling out defenses can just put guys in the right position. And a guy like Devin Booker, who will try now with a guy like Baines behind him, telling him kind of where to go and what to watch for, that changes the dynamic there a lot. Plus, I remember Baines hitting threes uh, a few years ago in a series against the Sixers when he all of a sudden out of nowhere just started hitting threes. And he kind of hasn't stopped uh, he's doing it all. His passing. There were a few backdoor cuts that Baines hit uh, Booker on, uh, especially late. Well, killing the Lakers for a while with all of that, and that's because he doesn't stand traditionally below the basket and has range, and it just opens up that offense for like baseline cut after baseline cut all yeah. over the place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Baines. Baines is really, and he avoided a serious injury. Uh, he had a very bad fall, but luckily he fell kind of like the right way. He could have gotten seriously hurt, but he's fine. Baines ties it all together, I think, in Phoenix. They're going to be a lot of fun to watch. Utah over Brooklyn, 119-114. The Jazz were on a back-to-back. Gobert had a couple of go-ahead buckets in the last minute and a half. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, 30 points on the night, uh, taking advantage of a Brooklyn team that seems still to be kind of figuring itself out. Yeah, you know what? They were down 15, I think, at a halftime and managed to kind of storm back, kind of got that poor shooting form uh, corrected for them a little bit. And Brooklyn, you know, despite getting a big game from Spencer Dinwiddie off the bench, 21 points from him, DeAndre Jordan, too, with 15 points, 17 rebounds, it just wasn't quite enough. They're kind of a little bit almost like not quite identity-less, but they're still figuring each other out. 17 turnovers to Utah's 11 also isn't really going to do it for you, and those empty possessions really hurt them in this game. But there's talent there, and if they can put it all together, they should be pretty formidable. Yeah, sure. Uh, but Kyrie Irving, 30 shots to score 27 points, including 2 of 12 from 3. That's uh, his overall stat line in the box score looked good until you look at the, the shooting numbers. Um, he's... He's having a decent season, but, uh, I'll, I'll leave that alone as the Boston guy here. Um, <laughs> it, it's just interesting that Kyrie now is, is in Brooklyn and the Nets have now fallen to four and six. They, I think they just should be better than that. Uh, moving on to Sacramento, uh, holding on and beating the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, 107 to 99. No De'Aaron Fox, no Marvin Bagley, but they, they hold on behind a big 35 to 21 third quarter. And, uh, I don't know. This feels like, I think, um, Portland walking in and saying, ah, we got this. They're, they're shorthanded and Sacramento kind of rallying and playing hard and, and ultimately just pulling out a win. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, Portland's also a little bit banged up and a little bit shorthanded too. 
uh, particularly in the front court. And you kind of saw some of the damage get done, uh, by Bogdan, uh, Bogdanovich for the, uh, Kings. There we go. I know who he plays for, uh, putting up 25 points and 10 assists in this one too. And kind of maybe taking advantage of the lack of depth that Portland has right now. Like they're pretty close to signing 10 day guys and those guys playing like 25 minutes a game. So, uh, you know, I think that kind of really helps. The Kings here have allowed maybe some of their depth to shine through despite all of these injuries. They needed this win though and really capitalized over the turnovers that Portland had being a little bit sloppy with 18 turnover points. So I think that's kind of big in this game. Yeah. Bench points 35 to 20. Uh, I'm sorry, 38 to 17, 38 to 17 bench points in favor of Sacramento. That's where this game was won. There is a locked on podcast. For all of these, we touched on these games, but if you want to go in-depth on any of them, just go to all of these teams, Locked On, Kings, Blazers, Jazz, Nets, Lakers, Suns, uh, Hawks, Nuggets, Heat, Pistons, Sixers, Cavs, Bulls, Knicks, uh, Pacers, Thunder, Locked On for all of those for your full in-depth recaps. When we come back, Paul George makes his return to the Clippers. What does that mean? We'll talk about it on the Locked On NBA podcast. Paul George is going to make his return to the NBA after a pair of shoulder procedures. The Clippers will take on your New Orleans Pelicans in New Orleans on Thursday. Jake, how thrilled are you to see Paul George make his return in New Orleans? You know, this has been a pretty trying season for New Orleans when it comes to injuries. No Zion right now. Uh, Brandon Ingram, who's having an outstanding year, just got an MRI done yesterday on his knee. Luckily, that came back negative. Uh, Drew Holiday's missed uh, two games with injury here. So, of course, their injury bad luck continues with Paul George kind of making his appearance. I'm okay with it. You know what? I don't want to dodge – Paul George here with the Clippers and use up any good luck that the Pelicans might have on a game that they were likely to lose anyway. So I'm okay with this because we'll get to save that good luck for somewhere down the line. And overall, in a year that's been marred by injuries around the league, and there's a lot that are really starting to pile up, I'm happy to get a superstar player back on the court overall for just the health of the NBA. Yeah, it's going to be nice to see Paul George back. I mean, he really is. Um a anytime you can get a guy of that caliber back in the league, it obviously is going to be a, a good thing. Uh, the the Clippers still though banged up; they're going to lose Landry Shamit for a, a little bit, so their starting unit is still going to be a little bit in flux. We don't know what the Kawhi Leonard situation is going to be when he with his back to backs. They are uh, playing Wednesday and Thursday. In Houston and obviously in New Orleans. So obviously Paul George not playing on Wednesday night. Uh, Kawhi Leonard not on the injury report for Wednesday night. I'm assuming Kawhi misses the Thursday night game. That's the assumption because he's still not playing back to backs. 
and then I, so Paul George will get to play in that. So it's still going to take a little bit for these Clippers to kind of see their full potential. They're seven and three. They're obviously going to be very good. They're obviously the favorites, I think, in the NBA, or at least in the top two or three. If you disagree, uh, you can't, you can't put them that far behind anybody else, but the next kind of week, two weeks, but when you factor in Shamit and, and how important his shooting is and when you factor in the kind of reacclimation of Paul George, it's going to be interesting to see how the Clippers kind of navigate that time. They have to play the Hawks. They have to play the Celtics. They have to play the Rockets. Uh, they, they play some, some good teams in that stretch. And you wonder if in a tight Western Conference, Jake, losses even in November when you say, oh, this doesn't matter, these losses will matter. No, absolutely. I think in the Western Conference this year, every loss matters, whether it's for playoff seeding or just to simply get in and out. And so kind of shuffling things around is going to make things a little bit more difficult on them, obviously. But adding a guy like Paul George is only going to help them. Their offense at times hasn't looked great. They're not the best three-point shooting team this year. This is a guy who's, what, a career 38% three-point shooter, something right around there. So he's going to help you with that. Yes, you're uh, losing Shamit, but you can probably move Paul George from the two, three, or four, depending on wherever you need him to be in that starting lineup. And it gives you the opportunity to go super big or super small too, potentially as well. Uh, so I think it gives him a little bit more versatility and then defensively, he's going to help them too. But yeah, you know, there's still so many unknowns with this too, where is he going to be playing, like you said, on the back, second night of back to backs when you don't have Kawhi Leonard doing it? Or are they just basically throwing those games and going to just let these two guys play together? It's going to be really interesting to see kind of how they manage this going forward. Are, do you think they're in a bit of a, a uh, Warriors of years past situation where they just don't care and they just want to get into the playoffs and they know they'll be maybe be the favorite once they get in, even if it is is like a third or fourth seed? I mean, I think if they can av- avoid falling too far down, obviously, like they they probably don't care that much, but they obviously don't want to slip into. If you just look at the standings for now, let's just pretend that the standings right now hold, except for the Lakers, I mean, the Clippers and the Nuggets swap places. So the Clippers are fourth, the Nuggets are fifth. I, I'm getting uh, tiebreakers there. What if the Clippers fall to fifth in this kind of weirdness and have to go to Denver and Denver gets home court? You want to avoid Something yeah, you like don't that. want that. You know, like you kind of want to avoid going to Utah in, you know, an earlier round. Uh, there, there's no good first round matchup, but you know, if you can avoid the, uh, home court advantage for the altitude teams, that would be, I think, beneficial for, for, for anybody. So, uh, but I, I think one advantage that this does give them though is kind of what you alluded to. If if you're gonna not play both of these guys on back to backs, Kawhi and Paul George, well now you can stagger it and say, well, Paul George is gonna play the first the front end of back to backs and Kawhi is gonna play the back end of back to backs and you have one of your stars out there and you're so deep and and if you know, once Shamit comes back from his ankle sprain, then you, you have a little bit more of a full team and you kinda 
make up for the load management or whatever they're calling it now by, by staggering these two guys. <laughs> and you can, maybe you can, I guess, get past and, and maybe win a couple of these games that you might have punted before. Yeah, certainly. I, I can't tell which way they're going to go with this. And maybe it also just depends on opponent too. If there's maybe a need to play both these guys in the same game versus staggering them. And again, that's good flexibility to have if you're this Clippers team. And I think it's just get everyone kind of healthy for the final quarter of the year and make that run where you can generate some continuity because we've seen that's kind of important at times. Uh, and maybe something that kind of gets forgotten about in the player shuffling area here of the NBA. So they have a lot of different ways they can go with this. They've got a lot of different lineups they can throw out there. But certainly adding Paul George back into the mix fixes some of the problems that they've had, which haven't been that many, to be honest. No, not many at all. Locked on Clippers is going to have a ton more on the Paul George situation. When we return, we're going to go to Houston and the China situation that no one's talking about anymore. It's time to talk about it again and how much money the Rockets and maybe James Harden could be losing when we return here on the Locked On NBA podcast. We came into this season with all of the talk in the NBA being about China and Hong Kong and, and everybody had uh, something to say and then it just died down. Basketball returned. Everybody had another storyline and then ESPN and Kevin Arnovitz posted a story on Tuesday, uh, entitled Inside the NBA Silent Tension Surrounding Daryl Maury, it's extensive. There's a lot to unpack. We only have a few minutes here to kind of get into it. So obviously the Locked On Rockets podcast will get into this much more deeply. But really the biggest part of this that affects the league is the money that is potentially being lost. And according to Arnovich, he says, quote, league sources say the franchise, the Rockets that is, has lost more than $7 million in revenue this season from canceled Chinese sponsorship agreements and nearly $20 million overall when terminated multi-year deals are calculated. Uh, then he adds that James Harden has the potential to lose uh, an endorsement agreement with a bank credit card in, in China. This is, this is really where it gets serious, Jake. Daryl Morey is respected, if if not feared, amongst the NBA, uh, other NBA general managers. And here he is. Rule number one, man, don't mess with my money. And he's messing with people's money. This brings his job security back to the forefront. And this really raises some serious questions about the future of the NBA and how they relate to China. Yeah, you know, this this story is very focused and very focused on Daryl Morey, but as I read this, I, I my immediate reaction is just, whoa, there's a lot to unpack from all of this. And again, it's just one of those things like tree branches just going out that touch on so many different things. 
the biggest line that's jumped out to me wasn't as much about how he definitely seems disliked by other GMs. And that's a point that's made like a couple of times in there. And I don't know if it's to paint him in a more sympathetic light. I don't know if it even accomplished that, but it says out there, there's a line and it's quote, there's still great uncertainty about the effects on league business from the impact on the salary cap projections to the probability that the NBA can fully restore its partnership with Chinese broadcasters and corporate partners. There's still great uncertainty about the effects on league business. That's scary, man. These NBA teams are, are projecting the salary cap to almost the penny and planning out years of what their cap situation is going to look like. Movement in either direction can kind of have big ramifications with that, particularly on the downside of it. And they are still not certain if that's, if this is going to affect that or not. You know, does this impact teams that are maybe looking to add a little bit of salary at the trade deadline this year? And maybe they don't because if the salary cap drops and you still have your, those guys on your books in future years, you might be in the luxury tax or you have to might, or you might have to make cost cutting moves otherwise. This could affect, again, the actual play on the court this year, despite, you know, uh, everything we we haven't heard about this. So this article is kind of very illuminating to me about that, that I'm going to be curious to see what the very real impacts are this year. Well, I think there's a a lot of money that could be lost. Yeah, and they're losing it right now. Not, Not enough that it would maybe impact the salary cap, but what the Rockets losing $20 million is not a joke here. Yeah, but the Rockets have also, um, under Tillman Fertitta, have not exactly been running uh, like an open spigot when it comes to money. Very, they, very true. They are, they are very tightly um, controlled money-wise. Uh, didn't they have to restructure the payment schedule on Russell Westbrook's deal in order to properly pay him. They, they are kind of, I I don't want to say, uh, in trouble, but it's, it's not great. You know, this is where I would tweet the gift. Not great, Bob. This is, uh, not a great situation for the, the Rockets as far as losing millions of dollars it takes away from their ability to uh travel the the operational costs of who gets to go where um different different things that uh internally who who gets impacted players they've got contracts uh so they're not really impacted on the rocket side, it, it all it trickles down internally to people who are making like day-to-day livings. But at the same time, if this does impact NBA finances, max contracts are based on percentages of the cap. We we send out numbers like $35 million and blah, blah, blah. But that's a percentage of the cap. It's based on percentages. Mm-hmm. So if for some reason... This extends out to a, a point where the the NBA salary cap is impacted. Then every guy who has signed a max contract at any level, a rookie extension, whatever, it is, any level that involves a percentage of the cap, if if the the cap goes down, all of those guys lose money. And again, 
don't mess with my money. Like that's, that is, that's a cardinal sin. And considering where the Rockets are, considering their financial situation, considering the fact that they haven't won anything, I don't know that they are really uh incentivized to keep Daryl Morey. They're they're good, they're really good. I'm not saying that they should fire the guy for anything basketball related, but what I am saying is when the money is tight and he's the reason the money is tight and his existence as an NBA GM has wide-ranging ramifications, I can absolutely see a scenario now, based on all of this information, that the Rockets try to salvage their bottom line and try not to be the pariah in the NBA because of their impacting of the salary cap. And they do that by saying, Daryl Morey is out. I mean, that's probably the way to do it. Certainly, I don't think it would be for anything on-court related. I'm a pretty big Daryl Morey guy, so maybe I'm a little biased in this. And I think it still remains to be seen, you know, is that $20 something that massively impacts them? And you make a very good point. You know, it seemed like they were kind of cutting some of the staff in there, really trying to lower some costs and not operating like they had been in the past. And maybe that happens when you have an owner that comes in and pays $2.2 billion for a team and likely wants to see a better return on the investment maybe than what he's getting before. That'd be a hell of a move, I think, because it almost makes it look like the Rockets are bowing down to China, which I think is a look the league would like to avoid. Maybe the Rockets in general would like to avoid. So I don't know, but it's certainly going to be kind of a subplot of the year. And it sounds like, you know, teams and players and other other people around the league were a little bit taken aback when Maury deleted that tweet. And I think it certainly, I, I don't know, it's just a mess is Look, maybe what I'm trying to say with it. <laughs> you know what you do? You, you go to Daryl Morey and you say, you've got to resign. You, you, and they find a way to get him to say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be the one that steps down. And I caused this. It's my fault. He's got to go out there and say, this is completely my choice. And then at that point, then you can do a wink, wink, something deal and find something, some position for him somewhere on TV, inside, somewhere. I don't know how, but find a way for him to be employed or be paid to go away for a while, then, then he can step up and, and, and fall on his sword. And then the Rockets look like, Hey, no, we didn't want him to go. And the NBA can say, we didn't want him to go. And Maury says, I'm resigning for the best of the NBA and for the best of basketball. And then somehow they save face. Maybe they sign him to an extension and give him uh 10 years worth of payments uh whatever and then he quits and they pay him all that whatever it is whatever it is he's got to be the one who does it that's how he's got to do it 
yeah, that, that would be the way to do it. And I think it, it kind of almost casts him in a bit of a hero light, which also seems like something he might enjoy. And so I think it could work that way for sure. I, I, I'm getting to the point now where I don't even know if he survives this season. I, I would be surprised if he does, but, uh, th- this is however it works out, whether he does or doesn't, uh, it, it's going to be still fascinating. And the bottom line here is it is still a very prominent storyline in the NBA and we shouldn't just kind of forget about it because the league is back and basketball has been great. This podcast is over, and I want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast. All of you new listeners, if you're a new person who is just checking us out, hope you've enjoyed it enough to subscribe. Hope you've enjoyed it enough to follow us on Twitter. I'm John Corrales. I host the Lockdown Celtics podcast. You can follow me at Reds Army underscore John. And I'm Jake Madison, host of the Lockdown Pelicans podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Nola Jake. Subscribe, five-star ratings, good written reviews, always help. And the Thursday NBA show is always host by David Locke. Check that out. And we'll be back next Wednesday here on the Locked On NBA Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.